So, as you have heard, we're talking about patience, and I think it's fair to say that that doesn't come naturally for most of us. We live in a day and age where we know what we want, and we want what we want when we want it. I think that's fair to say. But I found out that while I was preparing that if you're one of the 115 million Americans who head to work in a vehicle on a daily basis, odds are there are a few things that frustrate you more perhaps test your patience more than being stuck at a red light, right? According to the National Association of City Transportation Officials, the perfect amount of time for the light to stay red is, anybody want to hazard a guess? Zero, right? That was, yep, that, uh, I get that. My experience is about an hour and a half, but uh, <laughs> between 60 and 90 seconds, 60 and 90 seconds, so you'll need to time it the next time you're at one. But ideally, the average driver would spend about 75 seconds, no longer than that, at a red light. Now, according to AAA, the average American spends 17,600 minutes driving every year. I, that is a curious number to me. But also, according to them, you spend approximately... 3,520 minutes or 58.6 hours waiting at red lights every 356 days. Every year, you spend 58.6 hours waiting. If you ever wonder why you get impatient while you're driving, okay? I don't know if you know this, but the Timex company did a survey and found that, among other things, Americans wait 32 minutes when they visit a doctor, 28 minutes in security lines uh, when they travel, 21 minutes for their significant other to get ready to go out. Uh, 13 hours waiting on hold for customer service. It's like one call. The bottom line is that we collectively wait about 37 billion hours each year waiting for something. That is a killer for most of us. Well, it's not just waiting in line that challenges our patience, right? Uh, challenging situations, frustrating people test our patience as well. Sometimes even the best of friends, listen, best of friends can be frustrating at times. They test our patience. And as Chuck mentioned this morning, this, this topic is tough also for me. I will let you in on a little secret that, that many of you may not know, but I am in the running for not most patient person in the world. Uh, but my guess is that I have a lot of competition, uh, in the room and online uh, this morning with that. The problem with speaking about this type of thing, uh, besides being not great at it myself, is that there's just no quick, there's no steps one, two, three to get over this. There's no quick way to work your way to becoming a more patient person. Henry Ward Beecher said this, it's in the notes on the Version app, there's no such thing as preaching patience into a person unless the sermon's so long they have to practice it to learn it. So buckle up, buttercup. Uh, Mark Jones said this, also in the notes, patience requires us to maintain our composure when we're asked to wait for something we really want or we're forced to, forced to endure something we really dread. Patience is something that we cultivate over time as we mature in our faith. If this is your first time with us, my name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here at MCC. Uh, really appreciate you being with us here. Appreciate you being with us online as well. And today, as Chuck mentioned earlier, we are concluding our series of messages from the book of James, which is located toward the end of the New Testament, if you're unfamiliar with it. Uh, and it actually was a letter written to the early church, first century church, that is incredibly applicable to us today. And if you missed any of those, I hope you'll check them out online. 
But we have called this study Achilles, although, although someone reminded me this week that because the story of Achilles is actually set against the backstory, is set against the city of Troy, we could have called this series Troy Story. Howdy, howdy, howdy. I'm Achilles. Uh, Listen, we called it Achilles because an Achilles heel is a reference to a weakness or a vulnerable point in someone, even someone very strong. So as we look at what James has been saying to us in his letter, we're actually looking at it from the lens of what are areas of our lives that can be an Achilles heel for those of us who are disciples of Jesus. And if, you're first, if this is your first time here, we know that that word disciple is not a common 21st century word. It is, however, the most common name that Christians were called in the first century. They were called disciples of Jesus more than they were called anything else. And so when we talk about that here, we want to make sure we understand that all together in the same way. And so each week we've just kind of talked about this. That, and so I'm going to ask you to repeat this with me just to make sure we've all got it one more time, all right? At MCC, we say that a disciple is someone who is following Jesus. Are you saying this with me? (laughs) I heard you all online saying it, but no one in the room was saying it with me. Listen, all right, you ready? A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. All right, patience can be an Achilles heel for us. Uh, Depending on how it affects the example we're leaving of our faith, and how being a disciple of Jesus plays out in real life, in real time, in you. That's what we're talking about. So especially today, listen, that's going to take you back. When it comes to that 58.6 hours you spend annually at red lights, here's the good news. You've only got about 12 and a half hours left of waiting this year at red lights. Is that not? That's great news. Now, there are other things that you'll wait on, but only 12 and a half at red lights. Hey, let's look at what James says. Verse 7, chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient then, stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. That Greek word for patience, I want to point this out, uh, those verses out, because in the New Testament, literally that word means to take a long time to boil. In other words, it's keeping your cool when you want to blow your top. And the word for stand firm literally means to strengthen your heart. It's about Inner fortitude, inner fortitude and inner strength. So it's not just about what people see. In other words, remaining patient on the outside or not blowing your top. It's also about who you're becoming. It's about strengthening your heart or your inner self. I want to make sure that we don't have this mistaken idea that patience is some sort of apathy, that you train yourself not to care. That way you don't get all worked up when life gets you know, intense Godly patience is not passive. It's, it's, it's active waiting. It is the resolve to face life's difficulties with perseverance and to confront life's challenges with persistence and to attack life's problems with a determined trust in God, all the while waiting for things to happen according to his timetable. It's very his timetable, not our timetable, his timetable. Psalm 27 tells us how we do this. Look at this. Wait for the Lord's help. Be strong and brave and wait for the Lord's help. If you want to be a patient person, that requires being strong and brave because it means you're waiting on God. You're not trying to push his agenda in your direction. You're waiting on him to do what he knows is best. We have to do our part, and God promises to do his part. We can't do his part, and he won't do our part. 
And so we have to be strong and brave and wait for him. Keep doing the things that you're supposed to be doing and trust that God will work things out for the best for his kingdom in the end. Work things out for the best for his kingdom in the end. This morning, James is going to remind us of what tests our patience and what we need to do about it. And he begins by talking about employers who take advantage of their employees, unrealistic demands, unreasonable or unpaid wages. Look at the first six verses of chapter 5. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, moths have eaten your clothes, your gold and silver are corroded, their corrosion will testify against you, it will eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look. The wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived in earth, in, on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. So are you ready? James starts pointing things out right away. He says, impatience can be our Achilles heel when those in authority are unfair. And I'm real curious if we had actually left that blank what word you would have put in there. Because I think some of us would have chosen a different word. Those in authority are, but you got to be careful because we're in church. So there's some words we're not going to put in that blank, right? The word we're going to put in there is unfair. Because the reality of life, and too many of us know this, is that supervisors will take advantage of you because they are in a position of authority and there's not a lot you can do about it. They can take the pressure cooker of your life And they just turn that dial straight over into the red. And maybe you've experienced that. But I want you to catch this. My patience is tried when those in authority are unfair, but I'm not going to complain. That's what James would say. It's tempting when your boss is a jerk or your parents are unreasonable or the policeman just won't give you a break or your teacher has it in for you. It's tempting to be hateful or belligerent or disrespectful. And it's not that God doesn't want you to talk about it. What he wants you to do is talk to him about it is verse 4. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Verse 9 says, don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. James says, be patient when this is happening. You keep doing your job to the best of your ability, and you trust that God will work things out for the best for his kingdom in the end. I gotta tell you, you want to do that? You're gonna have to be strong, and you're gonna have to be brave. That's what it takes to wait on God. Verse 7 and 8, look at those again. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains? You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. He's saying whether it's something as minor as the spring and fall rains or as earth-shattering as the second coming of Jesus, There are some things that are just outside of your sphere of influence. You have no control. There's some things in life you have zero control over. So here's another. See if it applies to you. Impatience can become my Achilles heel when circumstances are beyond my control. When you can't control your circumstances, you might start to feel the pressure build. Uh, This is true of those of us especially who struggle uh, uh, because we like to be in control. And we like to be able to get things done within a certain time frame that we have set. We've set the calendar, and we know how we want things done and when things we want things done. And when something gets in the way of our well-planned calendar, it becomes a test of our patience. James uses the people who are perhaps the epitome of this truth, farmers, because farmers work hard. 
constantly busy from sunup to sundown. They recognize that laziness can lead to ruin. But I, I have never met, and you check this against yourself, I've never met a farmer who's in a hurry. Not, uh, a good farmer understands that he has work to do, and he has to do his best, but all the worrying and impatience in the world will not make the weather change, will not make his crops grow any faster. James says that farmers have to wait patiently for the autumn and spring rains. So Jewish farmers would plow and sow in what to us are the autumn months. The early rain would come and soften the soil. Then the latter rain would come uh, in their early spring, our February and March, and help mature the harvest. But the farmer couldn't control its growth. The farmer can't control the market. The, the farmer can't control the weather. And so, I want you to catch this, my patience is tried when circumstances are beyond my control, so I will pray, not cuss. Uh, for some of us, right, the first words out of our mouth, at least, they're sitting right there, ready to pop out when things are beyond our control, right? Like, listen, all the whining, all the complaining, all the worrying, all the cussing in the world will not make the rain come any sooner. doesn't make plants grow any taller. Farmers have to be patient. They come to terms with the fact that there are some things beyond their control. I heard uh, about a little boy several years and years ago. He came home from school, first day of school, in tears. And his mom knew he would. He was six years old, and he had a birthmark on the side of his face. And we all know that kids at six can be really cute and funny, but they can also be really mean. And his mom lifted him up on her lap, kissed his cheek, told him that she loved him, and then she said, son, you can work hard. You can earn respect. You can love and be loved. But there are going to be some things in your life you just cannot change. He said years later, the late Dr. Charles Eliot, retired professor of Harvard University, said in a speech, the greatest lesson I ever learned was when I was six years old. And my mom said to me, there are some things in your life you just will not be able to change. So what do you do? What do you do when there are things that you can't change? You give them to the God who can change everything. If your Bible is open, you look at the second half of this chapter, it's all about prayer. Verses 13 and 14, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them, let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 16 says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So if that idea of being brave and strong so you can wait on God, if you're trying to figure out how to make that happen, the way you get there is on your knees. You spend time talking to and listening to God. And let him remind you that when circumstances are and the timetable is out of your control, there's nothing that's out of his control. And, and, and that, listen, that doesn't mean that you're going to like it. <laughs> But when we read the Bible over and over again and we pray uh, and we're reminded, that God, we're reminded that God is not here to make our lives what we want them to be. He's here to make us into who he wants us to be. His agenda. Not my agenda. His agenda. His ultimate goal, and this may be hard to hear because I think there's some bad information out in the culture. God's ultimate goal is not your happiness. It's your holiness. And if it requires patience to make that happen, he will make that happen. I'll tell you, this is not going to be easy. There will be times when it's much easier to cuss than it is to pray. 
But if this is not going to be an Achilles heel for us, it will require that we be strong and brave and that we wait on the Lord for his help. So there's one more. Look at verse 10. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So this is a reminder from James that impatience can become an Achilles heel for us when my intentions are misunderstood. So in my daily Bible reading, uh, several months ago, I was working through the Old Testament prophets. These were men who were called by God. They were given important information for God's people. They were God's catalyst for change. They were calling his people back to him. Uh, They were leaders who loved God. They loved their country. They only wanted what was best for their people, and they were opposed a lot, sometimes by their enemies, sometimes by the very people that they were trying to help. Jeremiah is an example of someone who was uh, uh, oppressed by the people he was trying to help. And they went through incredible persecution and overwhelming emotional trauma, all the while living godly lives and fulfilling their ministries, just like God told them to. They didn't give up. They didn't curse God. They didn't throw in the towel. They just kept doing what they were called to do. And I'm curious if you've ever had anyone oppose you and maybe it even happened this week. Have you ever been accused of being selfish uh, and looking out for number one when really you had someone else's best interest in mind? You ever had your kids get mad at you for being so bossy and, and mean? Or have you ever had one of your students or coworkers blame you for their problems? I think it's easy to lose our patience when people misunderstand us or they think that we're being unfair. They misinterpret our intentions. Verse 11 says this, as you know, we count as blessed of those who have persevered. He's talking about the prophets that we just talked about, but he's about to introduce another story of perseverance. He said, you've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So let me add to that last one. When our intentions are misunderstood and also when I face overwhelming loss, easy for patience to become an Achilles heel when you face overwhelming loss. That's what happened to Job. Every area of his life was crushed in some very tangible way. A righteous man who had material wealth and, and every conceivable blessing, and yet Satan allowed, or God allowed Satan to devastate his life to test that faithfulness. And by the way, we're going to begin looking. We're going to take a three-week look at Job's life beginning next week. But he stands today as perhaps the most unfairly afflicted person In all of history, even his wife said to him, why don't you just curse God and die? Yet in all of the things that he faced, he maintained his integrity. He wasn't flawless, but he never did deny his faith. He never cursed God. He never gave up hope. And he was blessed in the end with more flocks and herds and servants and children because he remained faithful through the affliction. And I just want to say, it doesn't matter who you are. I want to make sure you get this. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how faithful you are. There is going to come a point in your life, and it may be right now. You may be happening to you right now, but there will come a point where suffering will overwhelm you. You feel like you're drowning in it, like you can't get your head above it to even get a breath. Warren Wiersbe said there can be no victories without battles. We will never learn patience unless there are people in our lives who try our patience. We will never learn endurance unless there are circumstances that require our endurance. So what happens when overwhelming loss? 
crushes on top of you through death or divorce or financial loss or business failure or rebellious children or maybe being betrayed by somebody that you trusted with the deepest part of your hearts. What do you do when life falls apart? You be strong and brave, and you wait for God to help. That's what James says in verse 12. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. Which was really interesting because I think that verse sounds like it's out of place. I mean, what does that have to do with anything? So James is making this point. Listen, when we face uh, being under, misunderstood or overwhelming loss, we will not make rash promises. Listen, is, when life gets intense, is there any easier time to try to make a rash promise or bargain with God? We're tempted to swear some kind of oath to relieve the pressure that we're under. And that, James says, is not the answer. The answer is to be strong and brave and to wait on God. Be faithful and trust that he is still in control. Listen, do you know why James would even write about this? I mean, we've all faced this, the, the, the temptation to be impatient, and we've all succumbed to it from time to time. Why is it so important that he would, that he would talk about this? It's because patience reflects our patience, reflects the patience that God has had with us. That's why this is important. Peter would tell us the Lord isn't slow about keeping his promises. Some people think he is. In fact, God is patient because he wants everyone to turn from sin and no one to be lost. God is patient because he loves you. And I want to make sure you get that. God is patient because he loves you. It's because he loves you. That's why he's been so patient with you. It's no mistake that of the first fruits of the Spirit that Paul writes about in Galatians, love, joy, peace, Patience is near the top of the list. See, if we truly love people, we'll learn to be patient with them, just like God is patient with you and me. And if we truly love God, we'll learn to operate in his timetable and quit trying to push ours on top of him. So if we're going to reflect God to others, if we're going to love others like God loves us, we have to learn to be patient with them. And if we are going to learn to obey God, we have to learn to allow his timetable to sit on top of our life, not try to push our timetable on top of his kingdom. So with this patience in mind, we come to a time of communion. And it's a reminder that God isn't slow. He just wants everyone to come to receive his forgiveness, just like many of us here have. He, he could have returned before you made that decision, but he didn't because he was waiting on you. And if you've not made that decision yet, he's still waiting on you. We have a young man who's coming in tomorrow morning to be baptized. We have two more of our children who are going to be baptized over the next couple of weeks. I'm just saying, if, if you've not made that decision yet, but you've been thinking about it, we, we would love to help you with that. And I'm going to be right down front after services this morning. If you want to talk about that, we can set up a time to talk about that but we love helping people make that decision to follow Jesus. So we remember during communion as we take the emblems 
We are reminded of the body of Jesus that was broken for us. We're reminded of the blood of Jesus that was shed for us on the cross to forgive our sins. But as we remember his patience with us, part of what we're doing is recommitting ourselves, our patience to him so that as we reflect his patience to others, then they will catch a glimpse of our dad in us. There'll be this family resemblance that becomes obvious that might draw them back to him. That's why this is so important because it's all about the kingdom. It's always about him. And so the more we grow to become like him, the more others will be drawn to him as well. So we'll pray and then we'll do this together. God, we are grateful that we get to stop for a moment like this and be reminded that what we consider some of the most excruciatingly painful moments, and for most of us, they are only moments, but even in the events of life when they just become so large that they overtake us, and it's not what we want, and it's not what we asked for, and someone has misunderstood our intentions, or someone has deliberately done something to us, and we become overwhelmed with loss or pain or tragedy. We run the spectrum, Father. And Jesus, we know that you understand this because you walk this earth and so you know exactly because you became just like us and have been tempted in every way just like we are. And yet your word tells us that you are without sin. It is why people could so clearly see your Father in you and why we want them to see our Father in us. So help us as we remember what you did for us on the cross so that, Jesus, we can become more like you. And, Spirit, we will need your help to be brave and strong so that we'll wait on the Father. that's what we ask of you as we remember today. So Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.